that talk about, uh, I always hate talking about myself. So pay close attention because I'm going to be preaching at myself for the next two Sundays. Don, I'm taking you up on your advice. Don came to me one day and said, Pastor, he says, at the end of your sermons, you're rushing to get it done. And you have so much good things to say. Have you thought about doing a two-parter? So I, after Tuesday, I was already to eight pages in my notes. And I like to preach from eight pages. And I was only halfway done. So I said, forget this. I'm going to two parts. So this morning, we're going to look at the illustrations that God gives us about leadership. And so we're going to look at the illustrations and the descriptions of leadership. But next week, we're going to look at some of the things that God is asking of the leaders, the elders. And what is that? This morning, one of the things that we really struggle with is uh, understanding what, is, what are the elders? What does God expect from the leaders? And one of the reasons why this is so hard in churches today is because of our political culture. A lot of times, if we look at our culture, we're bombarded with, we live in a republic. By the way, did you remember that from your, your history? We live in a republic, not in a democracy, right? Uh, sometimes we forget that. We're, uh, we're a republic, not a democracy. We do have democracy within the republic. And some people focus on the being de uh, democratic. We, everybody has to have a say. And then we have what we call dictators and people who are, nobody has a say and everybody tells, uh, you know, that dictator tells everybody what to do. Now, when I was in Togo, my Togolese uh, brothers and sisters in Christ said, you know what, having a dictator is sometimes really nice because we don't have to worry about anything. They have to do everything. And, uh, and they said, so... You know, some of you guys that preach democracy or a republic, uh, you don't understand the joy sometimes that you can have under a dictatorship. Now, all of those terms cause confusion in church leadership, and it also causes sometimes wrong assumptions, and it causes battles within the church. And so some people struggle with this. And so when we go and we read our text this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, by the way, those that are visiting with us, we've just been going through 1 Peter all year. So our text, I didn't select the text this morning, God did, and he knows the timing of all these things. And as we read our text in, in chapter 5, I want you to focus on what God calls not only the church, but what he calls the leaders and we're going to go through that very carefully so we have the right uh, assumptions, the right implications, rather than a cultural bias or a personality bias. And we look at it. Because I'm here to tell you, we are not supposed to be a church that's built on a republic. We're not supposed to be a church that is built on a democracy. And we're not supposed to be a church that's built on a uh, dictatorship. We're supposed to be a theocracy, and that is a God-controlled church. That's what theocracy, theo is God, ocracy is, is leadership. So we are a God-led church, we're supposed to be. And so would you pray with me as we, as we open it to 1 Peter 5 and read our text this morning and then explain the text that is before us. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes and that we would have a the, allow the Holy Spirit to provide a joyful look at what you expect from elders. And what are the elders? And what is the church? Why do you call the church the flock? Why do you call us sheep? Uh, and Lord, why do you call leaders in the church shepherds? And what does all that mean? And so Lord, speak to our hearts, I pray. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to understand your words. So, Lord, I pray that uh, you will help me not to stumble too much. But, Lord, in my weakness, I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified as we speak about your truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4 states this, and will be uh, to my joy and to your chagrin while we look at chapter, 
or verse 2 this morning. <laughs> so, but this is what it says. So I exhort the elders among you, notice plural, elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I hope you saw a few clues to what we're going to be talking about this morning. As we look, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So this morning, we're going to see that there's this need for shepherds in the church. And part of that, we're going to look at what are the elders, and then we're going to look at what is the flock, and then we're going to look at what is shepherding. Um, and as I begin to read some of the books, and I've, as I remember some of the classes that I took about Jewish culture when I went to Israel and I got to study from a rabbi there, uh, I remembered and I started pouring through some of my notes about what does it mean to shepherd? What does it mean to shepherd a flock? What does it mean when it, we talk about the flock of God? And I, I began to realize some of that. And in fact, I even remember when I was, we were studying the doctrine of the church and we got to this part, they, we were given this story on what a shepherd looked like. And so I want to read that story at the very end of the service. So the first thing that we want to look at is the need for plurality of elders to shepherd the church. Did you notice in the very first one he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ. What he is saying to the elders, what he's calling the elders to do, what is reminding the church who the elders are and what their responsibility is, is he's reminding them based on what he's been saying, and that is this, that the church is going through suffering. The church will go through persecution. The body of Christ is going to struggle. And so it's important for the elders to do their job. It's important for the church to have elders, a plural of elders. We can't have a single elder. He's like, look, the persecution is so extensive that you can't rely on one man. And he says, I exhort the elders. There's an emphasis there on the plural. In fact, we see that importance because he says, Peter says, as a fellow elder, he, he speaks to himself as an elder in the singular form. So he counts himself not just as an apostle, but as one of the elders or leaders in the church. In fact, that word exhort should be familiar to some of you. It's the word in the Greek is paraclete, which is where we, we see what the, the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to encourage and exhort us to follow the works of God or to follow Christ. It's the same thing. Peter's coming alongside and saying, hey, elders, let me exhort you. You've got to do this because of all the persecution that the church is going to face. You have to be ready to shepherd the flock. And so that way you're not confused. There are three terms that describe the elders in the church. If you're reading in Timothy or Titus and in Acts, you're going to see some of these terms. In fact, there's particularly, they address, you'll see elder, which emphasizes the maturity as a leader, a mature leader who has the office. It's talking about emphasizing the office or title of a mature leader in the church. The other one you see is overseer. In fact, it's even in our text in verse uh, in, uh, in verse 2, it talks about to exercise oversight. The term overseer emphasizes the function of leadership, to oversee, to be the leader who oversees to the needs of the body. The other one is the term uh, pastor, which is where uh, we get the word shepherding. And that's their function of teaching and feeding. So what we see here 
is, is, is the plurality of elders or the elder is, is they are mature men who have an office in which they lead and feed. That's what an elder is. And there should be a plurality of them. And by the way, that's a new, that's not just a New Testament function, but it was given to us as an example in the Old Testament. If, you're, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 18. Say, well, pastor, is this just something that's in the New Testament that's new, or is this always the way that God has designed the church? Yes, God has de- designed the church to be this way. In Genesis chapter 18, we're going to see an illustration of what God expected from the elders. Where did a plurality of elders come from who were meant to oversee and to teach and to feed the sheep? Genesis chapter 18, verses uh, 10 through 24. By the way, this is after uh, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're coming to where Moses' father-in-law is. By the way, how many of you like to go visit your father-in-law and your father-in-law tell you what you're doing wrong? Right? How many, how many of you enjoy that? I, that, that? That doesn't usually happen with my father-in-law. We, we sit and discuss theology all day long. What books are you reading? What, what theological terms are you struggling with? And we go back and forth. It's when I go meet with my mother-in-law. <laughs> she goes, now, I'm praying for you because are, are you sure that this is wise? Are you, you know, she brings up all the questions. My father-in-law, we just talk about God all day long. But look at Moses and his father-in-law. It says, uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 18, verses 10 through 24, and it says, the Lord... Exodus, I'm sorry, why am I in Genesis? I wrote it wrong in my notes. Thank you so much, Herb. I was starting to read it, and I'm like, this does not make sense. See, I knew I had to pray for God to take care of my weakness. Thank you. (laughs) So in verse 10, it says, Jethro said, that's Moses' father, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hands of the pharaohs and it delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods because in this affair they have dwelt, dealt arrogantly with the, the people. And Jethro, Moses' father, brought a burnt offering and sacrifice to God and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood uh, around all day, Moses from morning till evening. Then Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, and he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand before you from morning till Till evening, and Moses said to his father-in-law, "Because the people come to me to inquire of God, so they're looking for teaching. And when they have a dispute, they have come to me, and I have dis- and I decide between one person or another, and I make them known the statutes of God and His law. And look at Moses' father-in-law said to him, "What you are doing is not good." They're like, "Wait a minute! Isn't teaching and and counseling and?" And helping people, isn't that a good thing? But look at his father-in-law. says, no, this is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for these things are too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, now, this is where it gets a little sticky, right? Father-in-law says, now look. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. And God will be with you. How many of you want to hear that from your father-in-law? (laughs) Kedrick always raises his hand he doesn't have a father-in-law yet (laughs) he doesn't like to listen to dad let alone a father-in-law says now obey my voice and I'll give you advice and God will be with you you shall represent the people before God and bring their cause to God and you shall warn them about about the statutes and the laws and make them known uh, the way in which they should walk that they must do moreover look, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. 
and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter that shall be brought to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it is, it'll be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. You see right here an illustration of what God desires in the church. That He said, "Look, yeah, you you will ha- you will be you will sit there, you will lead, but you have to have other men who lead with you, so that way you will last." Here's the thing: is, is could Moses deal with every problem in all of Israel? No, it's impossible. By the way, did you notice that? There will be a leader of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leader of 50, of 10, right? It's like, I, I'm, I'm a leader of hundred. I know people are a leader of hundreds. I know people that are a leader of thousands. Pastor Dave, right? He, he, he oversees larger the body of Christ. And he has all the pastors that are working with him to lead the flock of God. Because Pastor Dave can't lead all the churches in Idaho, Washington, and Oregon, and other parts that he ventures into. He couldn't do it, right? Right? I'm just one leader among other leaders. Elders, we, the, we need multiple elders. In fact, look at Acts 20 and verse 28. Paul is warning the elders, by the way, of that they need to be careful and watch. And he says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you as overseers to care, that is, shepherd, to care for the, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Right? All of this is so important that he is expressing that watch. And he says, did you notice who made the elders? Who established the elders? God does. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who calls the heart of an elder. Our job as a church, sometimes we think it's our job to hold a this, this contest to see who's the most liked in the church, and we'll make them the elder. That's not God's way. God's way is to call the heart of man to do the work of an elder. It's the church's job to say, we see that true calling in the life of that man. We affirm. We say, yes, we believe that they're called. We don't call the man. The Holy Spirit does. The second thing that we see from our text, so we talk about elders, but also we see this. The local flock is made of needy sheep. By the way, when he says in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, um, shepherd the flock that is what? Did you notice that? That is among you. Does God call elders to shepherd other flocks of God? Or does he call elders to shepherd the flock that he's among? Isn't that interesting? Where do the elders come from? Within the local body. He says here that shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We call, we work on discipling, growing, and raising up elders who are called by God to lead the church in with, from within the church. Sometimes we think that all elders or all church leaders have to come from without the church. right? And, and my hope is, is sometimes, my, my, the problem is I think we rely too heavily on Bible colleges. And I, I'm not against them. Bible colleges and seminaries, I agree. You know, just as Paul went away and, and he spent one-on-one time with God and grew people, I believe, wholeheartedly in it. Otherwise, I wouldn't send my daughter there to a Bible college. I, I agree with it. But we are supposed to do our job in raising leaders from within the church. We're not supposed to just leave it to other people outside the church. Now, I want you to notice something. Did you notice I put needy? The local flock, right, 
The local flock is made of what? Needy sheep. That might offend some, some of you. Maybe it doesn't offend it. Some of you are like, yep, I'm needy. <laughs> I need help, right? I, I, I was always telling about my daughter called me up one day and says, Dad, am I calling you too much? I'm like, nope, never. You can call me all the time. We are needy. He says, shepherd the flock of God. The flock is talking about sheep. And I want you to notice some things about sheep. I, uh, I've been reading about sheep in New Zealand. I've been reading about our, our, our uh, Dale is not here, but I was reading about sheep in Australia. I've been reading about all these different kinds of sheep. And I hope as I read these characteristics about sheep that you will begin to understand why God calls us a flock and why he calls us sheep. There's no coincidences. All right? Some of you will laugh. Some of you won't. Here we go. Sheep are directionally challenged. So, you know, I'm not, usually if I, I can go to somewhere in the dark and I can get back there in the daylight with no direction. I'm not typically directionally challenged. I got lost the other day and my wife laughed. Thought that was pretty funny. I don't get lost, lost very often. I'm like, where am I? Um, but yeah, uh, I don't, I'm not too directionally challenged, but sheep are directionally challenged. They're one of the only animals in the world that can get lost within a mile of their sheep pen. And I'm not joking. That's true. They get lost extremely easy. They know their pasture. They know where they were born. They, in fact, they'll go and, and lay down in almost the same place every single day within the pasture, but you take them outside of that pasture and they don't know how to get back. They don't know where to go. Um, it's unfamiliar territory. It, it stresses them out. In fact, lost sheep will walk around usually in endless circles, making noise continually in confusion, unrest, and sometimes even panic in anxiety. And, and, and sometimes it'll, they, it'll, they'll kill themselves. They'll have such panic attacks that they can kill themselves. Now think about this. In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 36, when Jesus saw the disoriented, confused, hungry, thirsty, spiritually lost crowd, he said this. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are directionally challenged. In fact, Isaiah, right, said, and it's quoted in Romans, we are all like sheep have what? We have gone astray or gone our own way. We have turned everyone to his own way, the Bible says. That's, there's a reason that God calls us sheep. When it comes to the Lord, we are very directionally challenged. The other one is sheep are especially vulnerable to, bring, uh, uh, to being led astray. So sheep are especially vulnerable to being led astray. Now, in New Zealand, they have a certain sheep that they call, uh, that leads all the sheep to, the, to the, the, the slaughterhouses, to the killing plants, they call it. Uh, and that, guess what the name of that one sheep is? The Judas sheep. Yeah, and I'm not making this up. In, in, in New Zealand, they have what they call the Judas sheep. They castrate the sheep, and they, the sheep will lead will lead thousands of sheep into the slaughterhouse, will exit through a trap door that the other sheep don't know, go back out, and will go back and lead more sheep into the slaughterhouse. Millions of sheep are killed every year because they follow this Judas sheep. Think about this. Sheep are extremely vulnerable to being led astray. When sheep, when sheep are astray, they're utterly lost and able to find their way back, and the sheep can be so easily led to their death. So easily. Sheep have no capacity to find water. Did you know that? Most animals, um, our, my calf at, at my house, um, there was no, uh, we put f uh, fresh water out in the morning just a little bit because we don't want her to overdrink, so that way she doesn't drink her milk. And uh, we put a little bit of fresh water every morning, wash out the bucket so she doesn't get sick. And we put it there, 
and, uh, and it was tipped over uh, one afternoon, and we, we had been letting the, the calf out and let it graze and stuff, and it, it jumped over the electric fence and went straight to the pig's water trough. It knew water was there. Even though it wasn't penned with the pig, it knew there was water there. Sheep can't do that. Most animals can smell the moisture or feel the moisture in the air, and they can go right to where water is. Most animals can find water. Sheep can't do that. It's pretty amazing. Not only can they find water, but too cold of water can make them sick. Too hot of water can make them sick. Um, if the, if the, the water is running too fast, they'll drown. If the water is running too slow and it has too much bacteria in it, it'll kill them. They need quiet, still, fresh water. Do you get the feeling that God invented sheep just to make a spiritual point? They have no capacity to find water. They also get sick on water. Sheep cannot differentiate between good and bad food. It's funny, a lolly, our calf, will go and it'll go up to the weed, sniff the weed, and then move over and grab the big, big tuff of grass that's right next to the weed. She doesn't eat the weed. She eats the grass. That is not the case. In fact, most animals learn to avoid poisonous plants. Sheep can't do that. If they're in a pasture and there's poisonous weeds and there's good grass, they'll just eat whatever's in front of them and die. Sheep, they're pretty needy, aren't they? Yeah, sheep, they don't know the difference. When they eat it and it hurts them, their stomach, they don't stop. They just keep eating. In fact, you know, if, if you don't move sheep off of a pasture, they'll, they'll, they'll begin to eat the dirt. They'll eat the dirt. And they'll be fine. Do you kind of sense how needy sheep are? So they can't differentiate between good and bad food. Uh, sheep have absolutely no capacity to clean themselves. They cannot clean themselves. Does that sound familiar? Can we save ourselves from our sin? It's absolutely ridiculous. They, they cannot clean themselves. And, and the reason, um, in fact, it's very hard to find a pure white sheep because most of them are stained. And the reason that they are stained is because within the wool that they produce is this oil that's called lanolin, I think, lanolin, yeah, and it's, it's, it permeates so much of their, their wool and their skin that guess what? It, it's like, have you ever touched somebody's hair that's had too much hair cream in it? That's what it's like, right? Yeah, Kedrick plays with my head and I play with his, so we know. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, it, we, we know exactly what that's like. But here's the thing. That's what it's like, and that oil is so thick, it collects every piece of dirt and grass and everything known to man sticks to that sheep. It's crazy. They're always dealing with crazy hair day. It's just one bad thing. In fact, sheep, if they do not get sheared, they will die. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you seen a sheep get sheared and love it? Never. They hate it. They bath, they scream. I mean, I was like, I was watching this one guy do it, and I couldn't believe, where's your earplugs? Oh, he says, you just get used to it. And I said, no way. <laughs> no, you don't. It is like, it's like when the pigs squeal when they touch the electric fence. I always have to look and see if it's one of my kids. But they scream just like a little kid, like Josiah screams. You know what I'm talking about? It's horrible. They have no absolutely way to clean themselves. They will not do it. Here's the other thing. Sheep are totally defenseless without a shepherd. Total defenseless. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Did you know a fly will kill a sheep? A fly will kill a sheep. It's amazing. You may not, not, didn't, you may not wanted to know that. I don't know. But here's the thing. They will land... A, a fly will land on the sheep and the wool and will lay its eggs 
and in the dirt and in the mat, and they will then get infested with maggots, and they will begin to eat the sheep. They'll drive the sheep nuts to where the sheep finally dies. A fly can kill a sheep. Did God know what he was talking about when he called us sheep? How many of us struggle with sometimes the littlest problem drives us nuts? Because that's literally what happens when a sheep has a problem. In fact, a shepherd uh, in, uh, in both Australia and New Zealand, what they'll do is they always keep every month they shave around the bottom of the sheep, but they leave the wool growing. The reason they do that is so that way the flies have nowhere to nest and to be attracted to. Always doing that. By the way, sheep can't bite, they can't jump, they can't run, they can't, you know, within reason. Not in defense of themselves, they just won't. They will all run together when they come under attack. They make it easier for predators to pack, to attack, to take them apart. If without a shepherd, sheep are defenseless. In fact, it's crazy, but this last one here is, is that sheep are easily broken in spirit. If you hurt a sheep, he is so easily, or so, she is so easily broken in spirit, says the shepherd, that they will be completely crushed by the pain and the hurt, and they will lack a self-preservation instinct. They will not fight, and they will, no, they will not struggle to live, they will just give up and die. In fact, they say if a sheep is in full wool, in full growth in their wool, and they, they tip over and land on their back, they can't turn themselves over, and they'll just sit there and die. They give up. Sheep are in constant, constant need of a shepherd. They're needy. Um, as a, that's why when we get to our text and Peter says to the church, therefore I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elders and witnesses of the suffering of Christ and partakers also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock that is among you because they need you. This is why he's exhorting the elders. They, elders, don't take for granted because the sheep need you. Sheep are helpless. They're, they're, they're just, they give up too easily. And by the way, let this remind you, you, we give up too easily. Don't give up. Look for the shepherd. Call the shepherd. Right? Call the pastor. Call the elders. Call, call on the Lord. Do you get the feeling that God invented sheep just for the church? The sheep are in need, and they need, they need, they need the shepherd. Here's our last point. The elders need to be shepherding the sheep that they were placed with. Elders, we need to shepherd the sheep in which God gave us. This word, by the way, shepherding means three things. Guiding, guarding, and giving food. I couldn't think of another word for food in G, so I said give. So I like to keep it all simple. So guard, guarding, guiding, and giving of food. That's what it means to shepherd. He wants us to shepherd the sheep. God is called the shepherd. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. In our text, he says when the chief shepherd appears, uh, so that's why I don't like the term senior pastor, because Jesus is my senior pastor. Uh, I don't mind being the under-shepherd or a lead shepherd who, who shows you, you know, where the green grass is and where the good water is and goes and runs out of church and fights off the wolves. I don't mind doing that. That's what, a, that's what an under-shepherd does. That's what he's called to do. And here's the deal. The, the, he's, he's calling us. Jesus is saying to the shepherds, to the elders, to shepherd the church is, is so important that they need to, the sheep need to be rescued, they need to be protected, they need to be guided, they need to be provided for, they need to be taken care of. 
Now, I'm not the, the greatest reader. No, no offense to our second grade teacher down here. <laughs> I always tell this. My claim to fame is this. My second grade teacher told me I'd never read in public. Whatever you do in life, it won't be involved reading. God had other ideas. God has a great sense of humor. Okay, when I'm reading God's word, it's much easier for me. I do struggle with reading. So, but I want to read this to you about shepherding and the sheep and the flock. I want you to understand what our society has lost when when God is talking about leaders and the shepherding the flock. With a spring in his step and an eye to the sky at sunrise, he makes straight for the sheepfold. As soon as he rattles the gate, gives the morning call, greets the sheep often by name, every sheep is on its feet. They spring towards the gate with expectancy written on their faces and in their eyes. Another great day on the range with their loving shepherd. Leading the way to fresh grass and cool water how they eagerly bound through the gate one after another the younger lambs and the and the yearlings with a skip and a bound of sheer joy pleasure and playfulness the older sheep in a more uh, sedated and dignified manner as if reserving their energy for other demands on the long day ahead the sun peeping uh, peeps over the hilltop horizons to make jewels of the dew on the brush and the ground and the grass and and the and the shrubs the air is clear and brisk and bright the wind has not yet arrived and there's a sense of peace all around as the flock strings out all is joy abounding life and togetherness the sheep follow after as the shepherd leads them along a different course in a new direction to feed on a fresh range that hasn't been grazed for a while. The leaders are at first unsettled and seem to want to return to the old paths and the well-worn ways, but they, are re- but they reluctantly follow the lead of their shepherd as he directs them to fresh, clean pastures and sweet new grazing. As they enter this new range, all is action. The flock comes alive. Each of the sheep tries to outstep the others in search of the first morsel of sweet wildflower, a ripe seed head, or a rich uh, bottom uh, clover for that's hung, ground-hugging plant. Each tender morsel is nipped off on the move, a bite at each stride. What a joy to observe a flock of hungry sheep graze the fresh, sweet, beautiful pasture. It doesn't last long. The first uh, pangs of hunger are soon satisfied, and the mob aligns itself behind the active leaders. The lambs are, are ready for their morning treat of their mother's milk. Their wonderful mother gives all to her twin lambs as they grow bigger and fatter while she becomes thinner and until they almost lift her off the ground as they bunt and bump to bring down the sweet milk. No wonder she often lags a bit and appears exhausted, having to meet the insatiable demands of these ravenous young ones that never seem to get enough. The leaders are either alone or have only one lamb to tend to. Often they are uh, barren ewes, weathers, or rams with nothing to hold them back. They often move more selfish than the other sheep who are making many sacrifices. They hurry on, run ahead, push and jockey for position, demanding the first and the best morsels for themselves. It is that way with the older ones. A shepherd is well aware of their behavior. He knows all about it. Many times he will deliberately let them charge ahead and up a barren rocky plateau while he turns uh, the tail of the mob and the stragglers into a path leading to a sweet side valley and into a very rich pasture. Gradually he goes back to the greedy sheep and the leaders who are strung out, who have strung out the flock and taking them in the wrong direction, 
the shepherd takes his time to turn them all around, bringing them back to join the others, being sure that they have had ample time to nourish themselves on the first fruits. As the day grows hotter and the sun climbs to its zenith in the clear, bright sky, the sheep start to search for a shade, the shade of any tree or bush or overhanging rock, and each, and each sheep is showing signs of thirst with the drooping ears and the licking of their lips. The shepherd knows the range, and, and he's walked the sheep paths long before any of his flock have ever been born. He knows where the green pastures are, and he knows where the fresh spring of water are. He knows the way is not always easy. Sometimes the sheep must be forced and be persuaded to move down a steep, rocky path. It is often difficult going. They would much rather climb than descend. It is their nature and inclination. The rocky path is narrow, and the rocky path is perilous, and the rocky path hurts their tender feet, and there is unnecessarily crowding, and there is dust, and there is heat. And finally, they come to the low plateau in the lower ground, and, and at last, around the bottom bluff, the spring gently gurgles, making a still pond of crystal clear water. The leader calls for the others, signaling the discovery of the water, and within a few minutes, all is contentment. Thirst is replaced with refreshment. What a sight. Each sheep takes its turn. Each sheep sips uh, rather than gulps. There's no charging in, no shoving, no forcing. They wait politely one for another. They often take time to wet their silky muzzles, uh, swish and toss their heads, drinking slowly with no haste and, gr and with great contentment. Then it's sleep time, favorite time of the day. Uh, the, the sheep in the cool shade and boulders and the brushes and the trees and the shepherd in the shade of a high point where he can survey all the flock as they settle down for a two to three hour nap. Boy, wouldn't we all like that? A <laughs> two to three hour nap. Uh, sometimes I think the secretary finds me at my two or three hour nap. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, they're, they're settled down for their nap. At last, all the lambs are quieted, a time for rest, a time for meditation, no chewing the cud, no noise, no predators, no peril, no dangers. At last, at least near the soil, the grass, the water, the best part of the day, what a sanctuary for sheep and shepherd under the sheep under his watchful eye. It is mid-afternoon, and the, and the first to move is the shepherd. The shadows are beginning to grow longer. The heat of the day has passed. It's time to retrace steps back to home into the sheepfold. The flock is solely to stir from its sleep. The sheep would remain there, uh, remain where they were all day until the twilight, if the shepherd would let them. But it's time to depart and begin the journey homeward. The leaders of the flock are started back first along the path that leads homeward and up the steep path. The rest slowly follow. On regaining the, the, to the, regaining the top, the afternoon winds begin to stir. The stir becomes a strong wind and a gale directly in the face of the flock and the dust is flying and the hot air whistles straight into their face. How the flock dislikes wind in their face. Always on the range, they immediately turn their backs when on the range to the wind, but now they must take the wind head on. Why? Why does the shepherd let us go this way, they ask, turning our back to it or leading us in another way? The answer is, Although it is difficult, although it is hard, this is the way home to the sheepfold. And if they linger and if they dwaddle, if they are not uh, there by sunset, the flock will become scattered, the sheep will lose their way. They will become prey for the predators, thieves and robbers who prefer the darkness to the light. It is not easy end of the day. Many problems have been faced, many dangers anticipated, many needs met, and the shepherd had to be vigilant all day long. When the way is hard, the flock may often become quite unsettled, even when it is the way home. The shepherd observes a poor old ewe limping along 
at the tail of the mob. He goes after her and finds a small hard stick between her hooves. He takes the ewe in his arms and he holds her gently and and reassures her and carefully removes the offending hurt. He rubs and, 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 and rubs the sore and the sore hoof and with soothing salve lifts her to her feet and moves her to the homeward path. A count of the flock reveals that one of the sheep is missing. He looks far and wide and then retraces the path of the sheep looking for the one that is lost. He searches high and low and there in the thicket of the thorn bush caught in and unable to escape as the lost sheep. Gently he works the sheep loose, carrying, carrying it over his shoulders a half a mile to rejoin the procession home. And when he catches up with the flock, he rejoins the lost sheep. The shepherd spots two big rams fighting it out for leadership and dominance over the flock. Hurriedly, the shepherd parts them and teaches them who really is the boss. And that is the shepherd. And while the shepherd was gone, a ewe has become cast into a hole, and her lamb is separated and crying off on the other side of the mob, and both are in great distress, and the shepherd goes into action. He lifts the ewe back to her feet, reassures her, walking her through the mob while she calls for her little lamb, and finally they soon reunite. The sun is settling amidst the colorful clouds of the western sky. It's the red sky at night, the shepherd's delight, there's promise of a wonderful day tomorrow, the last mile, the easy mile as well, worn path and wide to the sheepfold. It has been traveled many times and on many days. The sheep sense familiar territory, their home, their home field, their home fold. The, sheep, the shepherd precedes them. He stands at the sheepfold with the gate wide open. He calls them in, come unto me and you will find rest. The mob, with little prompting, streams through the portal of the gate to rest, to protection, to contentment, to safety. Where the sheepfold is, no more danger, no more perils, no more rocky paths, no more predators, no more blazing sun, no more dry grass, no dust, no wind, no thorns, no crying, no pain. Rather, there is a sweet straw, pure water, high walls all around the sanctuary, protection against all danger, sweet peace, sweet rest, sweet fellowship, until the shepherd comes to awaken them again to a bright new morning. The shepherd knows his flock. All are in. He shuts the door. Only he has the power to open the door again. That is what it is to shepherd the flock. And that is what he calls elders to do for the flock of God. I trust that you have been, that you know the shepherd, that he knows your name, that you've been called in, adopted into the flock of God, that you know who the shepherd is, the one who has saved you from your sins, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. I trust that you know your shepherd, that you have that you find rest with the shepherd, that you're not fighting against the shepherd, that it's about your way, that you're not saying, I know what I want and I'm going to get what I want and I want it now, like most toddlers. I pray that you understand what the shepherd is really truly doing for you. And I hope that trust that as a church body, you understand what we are calling elders to do in the church, that it is not a position to rule over the church, but to watch care over the church, to follow the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, who's asking for someone to care for his sheep until the chief shepherd returns to gather us to our final place of rest in heaven with him for all eternity, guarded by high walls that have sweet water and sweet feed that gaze into the, the, the shepherd's face who gets to see him face to face. I hope the understanding of these illustrations come to light as you understand what the elders are called to do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the great shepherd. I pray that if someone here didn't realize and know who the great shepherd is, that they didn't know that they can't, just like the sheep, they can't remove the stain from their life, that they can't get to heaven, they can't enter 
the sheepfold except if the shepherd knows their voice. And of course, Lord, we're talking about our salvation, our salvation from our sins. That, Lord, we need to know you, the one and only who has died on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for our mistakes. That not only you are the great shepherd, but you are the Lamb of God, the the pure Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, I pray that if anyone here does not know you, has not given their life to you, and, and has never felt the rest and the loving care of the shepherd, that, Lord, that they would come to you today, that they would call upon your name to be saved and say, Jesus, I need your gift of you dying on the cross to pay for my sins, that I might know the great shepherd. Lord, I pray that now, that as we're praying, I, Lord, that, I, that your spirit, Lord, I pray that your spirit would invite whoever it is that needs to know you, that needs to relinquish their life and stop trying to do it on their own and come to the great shepherd, that they might find rest and help in the present time of need, of persecution, because we live in a very horrific world. Thank you for being our shepherd. Lord, I pray that in this illustration that many of us, we've, we've been down the path many times. We know the way. At least we think we know the way. We fight against the shepherd sometimes. Lord, we, we, we sometimes think we know better, but we struggle. Lord, I pray that we would return to the sheepfold and just find rest. And we look to you and would love you more than we love ourselves. But we love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might. Would we trust you and not trust in ourselves? Lord, we thank you for the illustration that you have given us, that you are the great shepherd, and that you laid down your life for us. In Jesus' name we pray.